Welcome to The Gathering Podcast. The Gathering is the young adult service that meets at Cottonwood Creek Church in Allen, Texas on Monday nights. You can connect with us by texting GATHERING to 77978. That's GATHERING to 77978. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Glad y'all are here tonight as we wrap up uh, our series, Look Up. And so what we've been doing over the past couple weeks, if you've been with us, is We've been looking at, for us as Christians and the culture and the world we live in today, what does it look like to find hope? And for many of us, it might be different situations that we're uh, looking for hope, whether it be um, a job opportunity or a relationship or just hoping that, you know, there's not another severe uh, storm that comes through like every other week. We're hoping for something, um, but we're looking in this world for hope. And what we've been doing over this series is taking a passage in Romans and breaking down what does it actually mean for us as believers to find hope. And so over the first week, what we did is we broke down this idea of rejoicing in suffering. And what we kind of concluded was, hey, the suffering and the trials that we go through, we can rejoice in them, uh, though that would seem countercultural. We can rejoice in them because what it does is it produces an endurance in us as believers. And then the following week, uh, we tackled, hey, this endurance produces a character in us. And so what we talked about is, hey, day after day, week after week, year after year, part of being a Christian is this endurance that develops a character within us that uh, trusts in Jesus more, that loves God more, that loves people more, and that develops over a period of of endurance. And we concluded with, hey, that character that is developed over time produces hope. And so tonight what we're doing is we're taking this passage in Romans to wrap it up, and we're looking specifically at verse 5. So Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, but verse 5 says this, and a hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And specifically tonight, at the very beginning of verse 5, there's this phrase, right, that says, and hope does not put us to shame. And so what we're going to look at tonight is, hey, what is this hope that we have that we should not be ashamed of, right? Because there's a lot of things in this world that we would put our hope in that ends up having us a little ashamed of ourselves and of others at times, right? There's things that people will put a hope in. Um, like, never mind, you can't say that movie in church. There's a movie about a bunch of really dumb dudes who do dumb stuff and film it. Um, it's hosted by a game, guy named Johnny Knoxville, and some of you are with me now. Um, but yeah, so there's this movie where it's a bunch of guys doing really dumb stuff, and they have a lot of hope in some, like, you know, pillows and some mattresses that they'll run into, expecting that to soften a blow, and It's like concussion and broken teeth and things like that. And you see people who hope in some stuff, and it's really dumb. And we watch it as entertainment because we think it's hilarious. And on the physical side, yeah, that's how America's Funniest Home Videos makes all their money. The problem is there's also times we'll put our hope in things, and it puts us to shame in a totally different way. Right? We'll put our hope in a relationship or in a job or just in some type of like achievement, right? Or like, hey, there's, there's this objective in my life, in my 20s, I want to get to this point. If I get to this point, I've made it. And we believe there's a hope in that 
and we get to that point and realize it actually doesn't deliver anything it promised. And we end up with some shame of, hey, I wasted this opportunity here and this friendship and relationship here, and it left me ashamed. And so tonight what we're looking at is, what is this hope that actually does not put us to shame? And what we're going to do is there's a passage in 1 Peter we're going to look at. And the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, not Paul, Peter, is going to give us a way to look at this hope. And the first thing we see is that we have a living hope as Christians. That the hope we have is living, alive, and active. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want to pause there a moment because what we see, right, it's Easter week, Sunday's coming, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what we get from Peter in this passage is we've been born into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason that, like, church staff, we joke about it here that, you know, this Sunday is kind of like our Super Bowl Sunday of the year. And the reason why is not just because there's a lot of stuff going on, there's a lot of moving parts, all that's great. But it's because it's actually the most important part of our year. Because as Christians, our entire faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, what we end up with is a bunch of people who are following some Middle Eastern rabbi teacher that, as C.S. Lewis would put, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. The whole notion of, well, Jesus was a good teacher really doesn't make sense when you look at Jesus' teaching. Like, he has a couple good moral lessons in there, but if he's not who he says he is, we have some serious problems with Jesus Christ saying, I am the Son of God, and the Father and I are one. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with a crazy person. Unless Jesus is exactly who he said he is. The whole contingency for our hope is that the Son of God came, dwelled among us, took our punishment, died, and on the third day rose again. Like that, that's the core of our hope is in Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead, conquering sin and death, and seated at the right hand of the Father. So that's how Peter starts this off is this is this living hope we've been born into. And then in verse 4, to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Oftentimes in culture today, you'll hear this of people will, uh, they'll get saved, right? They'll become a Christian. They'll start doing well. And then over a series of time, they'll start to make little compromises, little at a time. And what ends up happening is over that period of compromise, they end up in a huge fail moment. And in that moment, they'll instead tell themselves, oh, well, maybe I was never a Christian. Or maybe I've lost my salvation. And there are people who even right now would be 
informing our culture that, hey, your love from God is actually dependent on how you perform. That you can lose your salvation. That there can be a point that you can do something that is so horrific that God won't forgive you. And here's the truth we get from the book of Romans from Paul. Paul says this. He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what the Bible tells us is, hey, once you have been saved, once you've become a believer in Jesus, once you've laid your yes down. There is nothing in all of creation that can separate you, and that includes yourself. There's nothing anyone else can do or nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. And that's the hope for us to buy into. That's the hope to build our lives on because it doesn't put us to shame because there's nothing we can do to lose what has been given to us. It's why Paul would write in Ephesians, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own works. You didn't earn your salvation, which means you also can't lose it because it was a gift given to you. And that's the beautiful thing about this hope that we have. So the first one we see is this living hope. Here's the second thing we see as we continue on, is this idea that for a hope that doesn't put us to shame, it's refined by fire. Which sounds very painful. And it's not fun. I don't know if um, I'm cards on the table. I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, I, like, have watched the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition multiple times over. Um, I've done it in, like, single settings before. So one of the cool things you see in Lord of the Rings is they have swords and bows and arrows, and it's like, some of y'all are like, Sloan, hurry up, moving on. But here's the thing. is So with these swords, when they're forging them, one of the things they have to do to sharpen them and forge them is put them in very, very hot environments. They'll like put them in these smolders, crank up the heat, and that's how they're able to actually refine the blade. And for us as Christians, here's what Paul would, or Peter would tell us. Starting in verse 6. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter gives us here is, hey, the trials that you face in life are not meaningless and pointless. That in fact, your faith is being tested with a purpose. You're being refined as a child of God that in that refining process you become sharper. It's why community matters. You get the Proverbs as iron sharpens iron so shall brothers sharpen each other. We through trials are refined in our faith. We're tested but not pointlessly. Instead, we get this at the very end of the passage, right? Why do we do this? The result is in praise and glory 
and honor of Jesus. That what happens when we go through trials, whatever they are, right? The end goal is that we're able to testify more about how great our God is. That we're able to testify of the hope that we have placed in him because he's delivered us through it. And we have made and we might have hated the entire journey. It might have been the worst adventure or road trip you and God have taken of all time. But it has a point that you get to get to the other side and go, my God walked me through that. He delivered me despite sometimes even my own doubts about it. He has not abandoned me to my own devices. And we talked about this earlier in our series, but the fact that suffering produces endurance is this good thing that the brother of Jesus, James, would write this in his book, uh, James chapter 1. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect on you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That we rejoice in our sufferings because it produces steadfastness, that it leaves us lacking in nothing that often what we would find is, hey, this is my biggest trial or this is my biggest storm or we're sitting there with God going, why would you do this? We're able to look back on and go, actually, that was forming me in a way to hope and trust and love God more. Instead of spending as much time as we do doubting the process. So we have a living hope, we're refined by fire. And here's the third one, and probably my favorite one, to be honest with you, is you walk by faith. You walk by faith. Here's what Peter concludes with. Verse 8. Though, have you not, though you have not seen him, you love him. It's talking about Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are uh, coming up on what historians would say is about exactly 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So there is nobody hanging out in our church, um, no matter how old they might look. Uh, There is no one who has been hanging out with uh, the physical resurrected Jesus recently. Um, And if you meet that person, please let me know. I'd like to hang out with them. I have a lot of questions about how Jesus uh, was after the resurrection. But you haven't met anyone who has seen Jesus. No one in this room has seen the physical resurrected Jesus, but just like Peter writing this book, you do not see him, but you love him. We don't see him now, but we believe in him. Why? Because the character of our God, both in the past, present, and future, has proven himself time and time again that he is one we can hope and trust in.
that he's one that we can bet the house on and win every single time. And we have this faith in our God about this. And so it leads to the question, what is faith? Here's what the writer of Hebrews defines it as. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Which leads to the question, well then, how do we walk by faith? And here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. But to take the writer of Hebrews' definition of faith, I want to frame it for us this way. For we walk by the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, not by sight. That you and I as Christians, we have this assurance of hope that we have not seen, but we believe in because we have experienced who our God is. We have not seen him with our own eyes, but we have seen the power of prayer. We have seen the power of God healing the sick and saving the lost. And for some of us, we've experienced that personally, or we've also been able to walk with those who have experienced it personally. We've been able to watch our God minister to those who are in dark nights of depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And while we have not seen him physically, we've seen him minister to the people we love and care about. And we hope in that, not by what we see, but what we believe to be true. So we hope in that living hope that's refined us by fire, and we walk by this faith. Why? We go back to the passage in Romans 5. And hope does not put us shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. So as we come up on Easter season, this is the baseline for everything. Our hope isn't put to shame because of God's love for you and for me and for everyone. And we get to celebrate that. That should stir something in us. And when it doesn't, we should look up and be reminded that, hey, here is this living hope we trust in. Here is this living hope that died for you and for me. It's how Paul would write in Romans that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice because this is our worship. We lay our yes down, whether that comes in the different ways God has gifted us. But it's ultimately pointing back and celebrating to the God that we hope in. And so I, in classic pastor form, I love Easter. It's one of my favorite holidays. Um, But as we move into Easter week, and as we wrap up this series on hope, what I want to do, JD and the worship team is going to come back up and we're going to sing here in just a minute. But what I want to do first is I just want us to be able to take a moment to pray. And that's not the part where I like, I stand up here and pray and you just kind of like bow your heads and close your eyes and wait till I say amen. But like, I actually want us to pray together. And it's the simple request of asking God what I read at the very beginning from what the psalmist said is, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And so what I want us to pray collectively together, 
And listen, you might have come in here, you're having like a killer week, like Monday actually rocked for you. So proud of you. So this might be just praying for the person beside you. But for those of us who are walking in going, hey, like it's been rough recently to be able to pray for a moment to go, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Help me trust and hope in you again. And so I'm going to like just shut up and let you pray. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to get to stand and sing and worship. But I just want to give us a moment to center ourselves with God on this living hope. thank you. God, would you stir in our hearts a reminder that you are our hope, that you are our peace, that you are our refuge in times of danger and struggle, and you have not failed us yet, and you will not fail us now. And that we can trust in you as our living hope because you have conquered the grave. that you are who we celebrate, you are who we worship, you are who we desire to make much of beyond anything else because we know that ultimately you are the one that satisfies. You are the one that meets us in our darkest hour and you're the one who is with us celebrating in our finest hours. God, we just take this opportunity to lift our voices to remind us of how good you are. We center ourselves this week on the sacrifice you made and the victory that you have had for you, for your glory, God, in ransoming a broken people whom you love. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to get connected with us, text GATHERING to 77978. Or follow us on Instagram at cottonwood underscore YA. That's cottonwood underscore YA. We'll see you next time.